One of the things I was a little surprised about at, at the convention were I didn't see as many people as I usually see that I knew already. And I don't know if I'm just getting older and they're tired and quit coming or uh, they just didn't make it down there. I don't know. But um, I did see Dr. Chuck Lawless. He is the head of the uh, doctoral studies at all doctoral studies at Southeastern Seminary. And he went with our, our folks last year to Israel to teach the uh, missionaries to encourage them and uh, that was a great time and he's coming here on August 13th so I want you to mark your calendars August 13th will be come talking about prayer uh, this is one of his uh, main areas of study prayer and spiritual warfare um, and uh, you can look him up on Amazon get some books that he's written or helped write uh, but uh, but just uh, I'm looking forward to that he's a great man of God and uh, we compared pictures of our dogs so it was a uh, it was a good time, had by all. Um, you may open your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 13. If you're using a Bible that there is there in the pew, it's there for you if you need uh, a Bible. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 13 uh, when we come to that. Uh, but, uh, but again, I am, I'm, I'm so uh, happy to, to be um, here we're uh, preaching today. Uh, we're, we're talking about a topic today that, uh, that, that I am not really feel worthy to talk about. And so you say, well, then why are you up there talking about it? Because none of us in this room probably are worthy to talk about it either. Because we're talking about intense suffering. We're talking about the, the people Peter is writing to are, are under actual physical suffering and possible death for their faith. And we haven't really seen that. I grew up here. I've grown up comfortably. Uh, you would say the family I grew up in was poor, uh, and you'd be right. But compared to the rest of the world, we were extremely rich. We never missed a meal. Uh, we, we always had something to eat. I always had a roof and clothes. And, and when Peter talks about this suffering, he's going to talk about it because of the gospel, because we are followers of Christ. And I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I've ever really suffered for the cause of Christ. Uh, maybe a little bit, maybe some inconveniences. But it has a, a different effect on me, and I hope it'll have an effect on you as, as we look at it. And that is, why not? Because what we're going to find out is one of the greatest blessings God gives us people is when you suffer for the sake of the gospel. Well, one of the first occasions of that is in the book of Acts. Peter and John go to the temple and they're preaching Christ and they're arrested, they're beaten, they're put in prison. And they finally get back to the disciples and the Bible says, and they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's, that's an awesome verse. In fact, in Philippians it says, It has given us to know Christ not only in the glory of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. And so I have to ask myself, am I not suffering because I'm privileged to be in North America? Or am I not suffering because I don't talk about Jesus? And that's a question we ought to all ask ourselves this morning. If you'll stand with me, we'll begin reading in verse 13, only through 17. It, it's only a few verses. I can count, I know that's more than three, but it's few in the sense of not many. So, uh, in 1 Peter 3, begin in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you 
if you're zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I want you to hold on to that phrase because that is the heart of why you would suffer. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, we step into your presence and we open your book. And Lord, we don't have the ability to understand it. We don't have the ability to talk about it. We don't have the ability to preach it or to live it. So we are thankful that you sent the Holy Spirit to live with us, to interpret it for us, to to bring it into our heart, make it part of our life, that we might be able to read it, to understand it, to apply it, and to live it. You give us the power, the grace to obey your word. So Lord, today, we ask for an abundance of grace. We need your grace to understand it. We need your grace to say it. We need your grace to hear it. We need your grace to understand it. We need your grace to, to live it out. So Lord, please today bless us once again. Pour out uh, that blessing on us that we might be followers, faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that name, in the name of the Lord Jesus, who is God in the flesh, we ask you, Lord, to rebuke the devourer, rebuke Satan and his demons for us, that uh, you would give us freedom in this place to hear and understand your word. And we indeed ask that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. I, I want you to take home a, a, a phrase here today that suffering is a witness to our testimony for Jesus. Suffering can be. Now, you can suffer for other things. You can suffer just for being dumb, right? I make dumb decisions or do something dumb. I suffer a lot for that. I bump into things and do something that's not real smart. And so, and so sometimes I have... Uh, some of those issues. Sorry, my little alarm wants me to look at it. Um, just having fun here, folks. There we go. That's an that's a insulin pump for those of you who don't know. And now we're good again. Um, but in, in this text, I want you to keep something in mind. These people are suffering. Yet Peter says, if you should suffer. So that seems out of place, and, and we'll kind of talk about that as we get there. Because, uh, let's look at the very first verse I read, verse 13. You see, our suffering and thus suffering people are not silent. When we suffer, we ought to be talking, but not complaining. All right, I'll just say that. You know the 11th commandment, thou shalt not grumble. All right, that's, that's just, that's a good 11th commandment. Uh, or thou shalt not whine, if you like that word better, W-H-I-N-E. Um, but in this very first verse that we're looking at in this passage, remember the numbers were put in there by men. God didn't inspire the numbers or chapter designations. We did that so we could find things faster. It really relates back to verse 12, which we said two weeks ago when I was preaching from there. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, God is listening to the righteous. He hears your prayers. He knows where you are and he's paying attention to you when you are following him faithfully, fully, and fanatically. We don't like that word fanatic. 
And, uh, and, and there's good reason. It can have a bad, a bad meaning, a bad application. But we use it commonly and don't even know it. How many of you, and I'll pray for you if you raise your hand, are Washington Redskins fans? Right, okay, we got some. The rest of y'all were embarrassed. You didn't want to raise it because I said that. I was just joking, y'all. I saw a University of South Carolina people in New Orleans. I saw a Clemson guy in New Orleans. It's good. It's all good. Uh, all these things are going to go away, you know. They're not really that important. But, but we don't mind saying that. I don't mind saying I'm a Clemson fan. I don't mind saying I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. And they're doing pretty good this year. So I'm really not so embarrassed about saying that. Well, what is fan? It's short from fanatic. Right? Maybe you never thought about that. There's a, there's a book, a Christian book, I recommend it to your reading, called, and the title of it is Not a Fan. And he says, I'm not a fan of Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm, I'm not in the stands cheering. I'm with him on the field playing the game. And I recommend that to you. And here Peter is wanting us to see that, that we ought to be fanatical about Christ. And if you are, people are going to not like it. Because you are a reminder to them of their lostness, of their spiritual condition. And I don't say that angrily or hurtfully or pridefully. I say that with a broken heart. Because the Bible says that they've been captured by our enemy to do his will. And our job is to go rescue them. These are people that are, that are dying and in need of Christ. And so, I want you to notice in verse 13, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. You may have another version. But, but in this one and, and some of the others, it puts the word in there because it's a better translation. Now, who is there to harm you if you are, what is the word there? Zealous for doing good. What does zealous mean? It means to be enthusiastic, to be focused, to be intense, to be animated. It means, man, you are after it. You are hard. I like, I like the word um, relentless. That's a good word, isn't it? That means you, you're just not going to stop and nothing's going to stop you. That's what God calls us to be. And he says, but, but he's, he's giving us a, a, a kind of a, a juxtaposition of ideas. Who's going to harm you for doing good? I mean, they don't put... Captain Kangaroo on the cross, right? They, they, they don't put Mr. Rogers on the cross. Why they put Jesus on the cross? Because he preached the truth that reminded them of the, rec, the requirements of God. And in doing so, and by living his life, he brought rebuke to them. And instead of repentance, which is what we ought to do when we're faced with our own sin, and go to God who is loving and gracious and will forgive us and bring us in, they go to the side that brings even more of the wrath of God. The Bible says the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And so if, if we don't take our unrighteousness to Christ and leave it with him, we will be judged for it. And some people, when they are face to face with that, will respond in a negative way. He says, who's going to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? But I want to put another thought in your head. And it is this. When is the ultimate judgment? Like I could do something and any one of you in here could judge me. Some of you may have judged me already this morning. Just something I've said or my appearance or, or just anything that happened. 
Because sometimes we're judgmental of other people. We see someone and we just automatically judge what kind of person they are, what we think they are, what they would say or do. And we, we might be wrong about that. So I want to put this thought in your head. Ultimately, when all of time is done, who's going to judge you for doing what is righteous and good and what God commands? God himself. So who would harm you if you do good? In other words, God won't do that because he forgave you and you submitted your life to him and let him lead it so that man might curse you, but God will not. See, there's nobody there to, to, to harm you. If we take it at face value, and a lot of people do, I looked at some other sermons about this, and, look, and, and rightly so, a lot of people focused in on the physical suffering in this world. And, and I would remind you, I'm talking to us today, right? You and me. But even as we speak around the world, there are Christians who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Our man in Senegal, Africa, is, is having to come home early because political unrest. And he hasn't been threatened yet, but the, the, the people there that love him... Are, are helping them, guarding them, and going to get them out safely so that they can come home a little bit early. They were coming home later in July anyway, but they're coming a little bit earlier. Why has that all of a sudden popped up? Well, it might be because they started in one little town in the country of Senegal, and now they're in 17 nations across Africa and have cut the continent in half with the gospel. Satan doesn't just sit back and go, oh, man. I must be losing. No, he comes after you. I mean, Senegal, of all places. There shouldn't be unrest there. I, I was shocked when I read it. And then I said, why am I shocked? God's doing a good work. So what's the devil going to do? He's going to try to kill him for it. We don't even think that way because of where we live. Now, I want to put that in your mind. Who would get upset? If you were zealous for what is good. Who would get upset if you were wide open, hot flame burning for Christ? I promise you there's some people around you that would be. You see, we're guaranteed to be free of suffering in the next life. Therefore, we can endure suffering in this life. I mean, do your worst. I heard about one man a couple of decades ago. It's a very true story. And they had him in front of a firing squad. They were going to kill him for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel. I think it was in Uganda when Idi Amin was the president. I could be wrong about that, but it was that kind of situation. And so, before they shot him, he said, You are about to exercise your most fierce weapon, your greatest weapon. You're going to kill me. And when you do, I'll be able to use my greatest weapon which is to die for Christ and be in his presence in glory. And it upset him so bad they couldn't pull the trigger. He said for a moment he was disappointed they didn't kill him. He was so ready to see Jesus. Friend, we've got people today, even as we meet, or earlier while we were sleeping, meeting in other places in this world where they're under that kind of persecution. Just for saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we would live more openly for Christ, 
that that would happen to us. And we're coming to that part in this. So I want you to see in verses 15 and 16, not only are the suffering not silent, but the suffering will praise God. Uh, at, the, at the Southern Baptist Convention that I was at, there was almost 18,000 messengers, 17,000 and, and change, but it was in the high end of change. There were over 20,000 people there, but 17 were messengers that could vote. And, and before the convention starts, they have a pastor's conference on Sunday night and Monday. And, and preach, man, we had eight different preachers preach. Each one preached on one of the Beatitudes and applied it to pastors. And I, I preached that back at the beginning of the year. It was so good for me to hear that, it, 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 to, to help apply to my own life. But, uh, but there's a joke amongst pastors that all pastors are frustrated musicians. And all, all worship leaders are frustrated pastors. Now, that's, that's not true in our, in, uh, with us. I'm a little bit frustrated, but God didn't gift me. Because if I could sing, I would just make you listen to me. I'd lock the door and I'd sing. But, so God didn't let me sing. I'd be all proud about it. My head gets so big, I couldn't get out the door if I could, if I could do it. So God gave that to people that can, can do that greatly with humility. But... But man, when you hear 17,000 frustrated musicians sing the praises of God, it rocks the flock. I tell you, it was awesome. It was so wonderful. And I was reminded of this, that the suffering will praise God. We, we, we will. Notice what he says here in those, in those verses. In verse 14, he has said, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled about it. But in your hearts, catch this, in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy. I've read that in several versions. I read what one man helped me see. That if you look at this verse in a certain way. Here is what he's saying. What is the word honor? This word here can mean to set apart. There's two ways to look at this word. It, It is a word for honor but it has in it. The idea of honoring as the best. Like he's at the top of the chain. In the sports world, we, all, we argue about who was the greatest in any sport or any position in that sport. We call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Well, I know the GOAT, and he, but he wasn't a GOAT, he was a lamb. But he was the greatest of all time. And he died for us and rose again. And so the Bible says we ought to... Honor him, and that is, here's the other word that we use in English, sanctify. We hear that word, and I heard it since I was a kid, didn't know what it meant. It's the word for holy. What does that word mean? We think it means, man, you're perfect. You look good, you're, you know. And it can mean that when applied to God, but holy means that I have set something apart for a specific use. And that is what it is used for. I heard a guy, he's talking about, the country life and he was talking about it for people that have never got to live the country life and he talked about he's a little boy his dad liked case knives and he always had his case knife in his pocket and he said first lesson I learned as a little boy is don't touch daddy's knife and it wasn't for his safety the the trouble he'd get into his dad would spank him for it like get on him for it and he said he was with his dad as a little boy and and they were a man was he was helping a man work and the man came to a part and he said Hey, I need a knife. You got a knife? And he said, my dad said, sure, and handed him a knife. He said, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Nobody touched daddy's knife. Said, the guy's up there just scraping something out, tearing it up, hand it back. Thank you. He said, no problem. Put it in. Said, I didn't say a word. Got in the truck, leaving. I said, daddy, 
you let that man have your knife. He said, no, son, I let him have a knife. I carry an extra for people who want to borrow one. <laughs> he said his knife to be holy for him and him alone. Make Christ the only thing in your heart. That when you breathe, you're breathing for Christ. When you sleep, you're sleeping for Christ. When you eat, you're eating for Christ. We use him as a curse word. The Bible says, honor him. Set it apart in your heart to follow him. To make him holy in your life. Because the heart is a way of us saying it's the seat of all of our behavior. It's the seat of our intellects. the seat of our emotion. It's the seat of our will. And that all of that combines to make us a human. And that we ought to make him enthroned in that place. And set him apart as the only occupant of that area. And then everything else flows out of that. Because this is for what we suffer. We don't suffer for being a nice guy. We don't suffer for just being a good citizen. We suffer because Christ dictates to us our behavior. He dictates to us our speech. He dictates to us our thoughts and what we will look at and what we won't look at and what we will say and what we won't say and what we will eat, what we won't eat, what we do and what we won't do. And I'm not saying that makes us holy. I'm saying because we're holy, we'll make some specific choices in our life. But notice what he goes on to say after that. Not only do we honor Christ as Lord in our heart, he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I, I've quoted that part of that verse to a lot of people, had a lot of people quote it to me, always be ready, give an account for the hope that's in you, right? We pull it right out of context. What is he saying? He's saying when the world is collapsing around you and when everybody wants to kill you and you smile and say, well, praise the Lord. They go, are you crazy? You better be ready to give an account for the hope that's in you. No, I'm not crazy. I know Jesus. And when you kill me, I'm going to heaven. So if you don't kill me, I'm going to keep living for Jesus. Do your best. Right? Amen. And so we need to be that way. Notice what he says for the hope that is in you. We talk about faith. Faith is what brings Christ's salvation in our heart. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, even that's not of yourself. He gives you that. He gives you faith to believe in him and to, to believe in the grace that he gives you to become a believer in Christ, to be saved. But hope speaks to the future. Remember, I took that verse 13 and I said, Ultimately, a judgment. Here, Peter makes it a little more clear. This is our hope that we're going to Christ. And when we get there, because he has been Lord of our life and Lord of our heart, we don't make him Lord. He is Lord. You bow before the Lord and say, yes, you are the Lord. And I want you to make all my decisions. I want you to be holy in my life. And we get to the end. Our hope is we're going to see him. And he's going to go, good job. Way to go. You did it right. That's our hope. And so we need to be ready to give that answer. You see, but he says, do it with gentleness and respect. Doesn't that seem odd? It seems like I see a lot of people on social media and in the news business and just around town 
that are neither gentle nor respectful about what they think. Y'all seen that? Seen it in church. And yet we're called upon as Christians to be, do it with gentleness and respect. Why? What does that show? It shows there's control in our life. That God controls us. We're not crazy. We're not out there going nuts. We can have, be gentle and have respect. Because every person you meet is supposed to be an image bearer of God. And they are an image bearer of God. We, we are against abortion. We want to abolish abortion because that baby in that mother's womb is an image bearer of Christ and our neighbor. And we love that, that baby and we love that mother. And we want to see them be able to glorify God. And so we need to have gentleness and respect as we preach Christ. So we don't tremble in the face of opposition. We just calmly keep talking about Jesus. I mean, that's what they did to Peter and John. I mentioned them. They said, now, when you get out of here, don't you dare talk about that guy again. They said, well, here's the deal. <laughs> Whether we ought to listen to you or God, we're going to listen to God. And we can't help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. Why do we not talk about Jesus? Because we haven't seen him do anything. We haven't heard enough about him. We haven't seen him work in our life to the point we want to talk about him and glorify him. And again, I ask myself, why not? We maintain our witness in verse 16 so that those in opposition, look at verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In, in, in the psalm, there's a place that said, uh, Lord, don't let me be ashamed. In other words, I don't want God to fail. God does not fail the believer, right? Right? The Old Testament uses a great word, the everlasting love of God. Paul writes to us in, in Romans that neither depth nor height, I think it's Romans, but Paul writes neither depth nor height or things above, things below, creatures, demons, angels, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Right? So we don't have to worry about it. Because God's not going to fail us. So if someone experiences shame, and we're not talking about here, we're talking about the end of time. He's saying, those who revile you and don't repent are going to face an eternity in hell. Peter is saying that in a very gentle way. But that's exactly what he's saying. That you don't have to be ashamed because you're not going to be ashamed. That God's going to be faithful to you and he says and when you maintain your witness in front of them you're kind of putting another rock in the scale there for them that that they're coming up really short see not being put to shame means God, means God will rescue us now I get that I, I, I get that it's not easy to suffer in Revelation we see the martyrs in heaven crying out to God in heaven Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? That verse fascinates me. They're in heaven and they're asking God, how long are you going to let your people be martyred and killed and suffer? And he says, take your rest. I got it. That's, that's a Stuart paraphrase, by the way. You got to get to the end of Revelation when he says, it's time. 
it's done. And he comes back and he makes all things right. So we maintain our witness to make it clear that we honor Christ. This is Father's Day. And, and men, I mean, ladies, this is for you too. But men, God wants us to lead out in this. It, the, the statistics, and I, I'm not going to quote them because I might mess them up and I didn't write them down. But statistically, the absence of dads in the homes right now is, is, is at a critical level. God has made men the linchpin. And when we are not present and following Christ, things don't go so well. And that has been universally proven now. And yet, those who are blind want to stay blind. They will not look at that as an answer. And we need to understand that God is, is in control. Look at the last verse that we've been looking at. Look at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good temporarily, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Because if you do evil, you'll be ashamed at the end. But if you do good, if you follow Christ... You'll be glorified at the end. So, man, I, I want to challenge you fathers. Live Jesus to your children. You say, my kids are grown and I never have. Listen, it's never too late. God is always ready to make up what you've lost. God is able to fix everything in your life. So, I got two things I'd recommend for you this week. Number one, don't be silent. Don't be silent for Christ. Talk about him. Tell people about him. And then secondly, if you are counted worthy to suffer, rejoice. In Matthew 5, verse 8, in that beatitude, it says those who suffer will rejoice. And that word means to jump up and down. Talk about enthusiasm. Talk about zealousness. We're supposed to be jumping up and down. Wow, praise God, I got to suffer. What? Are you a nutcase? That's why you got to be ready to give an account, man. Yeah, no, I'm not a nut. I'm just screwed on the right bolt, man. I love Jesus. So if you suffer this week, rejoice. Man, I must have done something right for God. I don't mean suffering for being dumb. I mean suffering for talking about Jesus. Rejoice when that happens. With gentleness, respect. God bless you. I pray God reveals himself to you. Now, I mean, people will cuss you out. If you smile at them and go, well, God bless you. I hope that God reveals himself to you. They don't know what to do with that. So live out loud for Jesus and rejoice if you might suffer a little bit.